guys like Muhammad and, and Gandhi and Buddha, these guys are nowhere near the level that Jesus is at because Jesus is at a king level. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is God. And, and none of these moral teachers that, that, that people say work, none of them are going to die for our sins. None of them choose to go to a cross and die for our sins. And, and so not only is our faith true, but it, do, it does work in the sense that it brings joy, meaning, and purpose to life, to our lives. And really the only joy, meaning, and purpose based on reality. And, and this is why Paul not only gives us this great explanation on who exactly Jesus is in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians, but he also spends time explaining the effects that Jesus has on our relationships with other people in chapters 3 and 4. You know, and the, the truth is, is that Jesus affects every single part of our lives. And that might be helpful for you to remember. It might be helpful for you to remember over the next seven weeks that the first two chapters are who Jesus is, and the last two chapters, three and four, that the truth about how Jesus affects our lives and specifically our relationships with people. So, so now Paul is writing to the church of Colosh because the man who founded the church will say to, for 28 teams, the church planner, uh, was named Ephesus, went all the way to Paul in Rome where he was imprisoned, a thousand miles. So has anyone ever drove a thousand miles? Okay, some of you. I recently went to North Dakota, the most exciting place other than Disney World, um, and it's about, it's about a thousand miles. It took us 17 hours in a nice suburban to get there. So, so let's put some context to this, this to Ephesus' thousand mile journey. He ain't rolling in a suburban. He might have a sweet donkey. Like, I don't know. But it, it's, it's a very long journey to, to meet with Paul. So, so you know it, it's, it's got to be somewhat important that he's meeting with Paul. So he wanted to get Paul's input about the problems that were happening in his home church. Apparently, he gave a mixed report to Paul. Many good things were happening, but there were also problems. And, and the problems seemed to be twofold. Um, the, the, the first problem was Greek philosophy had creeped in and, and it involved the worship of many gods as well as the idea that you need more than Jesus. You, you need this extra spiritual experience. Sound familiar? Aren't we facing some of the, something similar to this right now with, with this idea of, of mysticism and, and, and all this spiritual experience? The second thing that we are facing right now again in, in 2018 is legalism. We are facing that currently. And, and, and legalism is also included. It's this idea that Jesus wasn't actually enough. Legal, legalism adds different things to the gospel. You have to do certain things to earn your salvation. And, and this problem really came from Jewish believers who didn't want to completely leave out the law of Moses and this new Christian faith. So the whole theme of Colossians then revolves around two questions. Is he really enough? Is he really all that we need? Josh, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Josh Sipe is one of our um, new elders, if you were here last Sunday, that we installed. Um, he is going to read this morning's passage for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, 
to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Kalash. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You guys can take a seat. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we, we come to you, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we, we pray that over the next seven weeks that we will see your fullness revealed, that we will, we will discover new truths about you, that we would grow deeper in our knowledge and wisdom of who you are. Lord, I pray this morning that it would be your words that are speaking through me. Your words bring life. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning that life would be spoken, that truth would be spoken, that I would just get out of the way. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would lead me. Lord, we, pr we thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, th so the text that we're looking at today um, that we just read is more introductory to the main thrust of the book. But we're going to see how Paul prays for the Colossians. When, when we pray for each other, it's likely that we most often pray defensively. And what I mean by defensively is almost like a sports term. We go on the defense, and, and we pray for people who are, man, they're, they're, they're suffering. They have cancer. They're in the hospital. They've lost, lost a loved one. They're having surgery. And it's incredibly important to pray like this. I don't want to undermine that, especially with the things going on, going on in the lives of people here in HGC. We have people here are, who, whose health is is not good. We have people who are, we have two brothers in this body who are fighting cancer. We have people who have relationship issues. However, we, we, we oftentimes, we get so praying on the defensive that we forget to pray on the offensive. We forget to play offense in, in our prayer. And, and what I mean by that is that in the midst of praying for all who are struggling, we sometimes forget that those who are doing great and doing well need prayer too. In fact, we, we all need prayer, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I need prayer all the time. Pastor Nate needs you to pray for him, even when things are going good. We, we, we need prayer, and today we're going to see how Christians can pray for Christians. We're, we're going to make our way through the text with some explanation, and then we're going to see how to pray for each other. So, so let's pick it up in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss, grace to you and peace from God 
our Father. So still, Paul starts off by stating his name. He's stating his authority that he's not only a messenger of God, but an official representative with Timothy, Timothy who was also with him. And, and grace and peace, if you've read Paul's writings, grace and peace are pretty typical of Paul's, of Paul's greetings. Now, before Paul gets into the main reason as to why he's writing this letter to teach and encourage them, he spends the rest of our text this morning doing two things. First off, he's expressing his thankfulness to God for them, explaining how he's been praying for them. Paul's thankfulness we see in the next five verses. Let's pick it up in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is, is bearing fruit and increasing. Also, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just, if you, just as you have learned it from Ephesus, our beloved fellow saint, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us love in spirit. Now, now you read this, and, and if let's say that, that Paul was writing the Church of Highland Gospel. It sounds a bit flattering, and, and, and especially coming from the Apostle Paul. Honest confessions, if, 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 I, if I read this and it was written to me, I would be a bit puffed up. I would get a little, I don't know, I guess a strut. I'd be a little, I'd be a little cocky about it. I'd be like, man, Apostle Paul is saying some great things about me, but, but, but we can't miss who he is thankful to. He's not, faith, he's not thankful to the Colossians for their faith. He's thankful to God for their faith. We know that faith is a gift from God. The, the word faith here means to be completely persuaded that something is true and to trust God in it. It's not just some belief or some intellectual thing alone. In fact, in the New Testament, obedience is equated with belief. So, so Paul is thankful for their saving faith that the Colossians had, and their faith was their faith and trust alone in Christ for salvation. And, and look at what also Paul was thankful for. The love that the, Colo that, that, that the Colossians had for all of God's people Children of God love fellow children of God, or at least we should. And you look at this text, and, and you, you look where it says, let me pick it up here. Um, Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. We look at this and we go, man, I, I bet the, the church at Colossians didn't have clique issues. And you're like, well, well what, what is a clique? Cliques are groups of people that keep to themselves and likely don't let anyone in, whether by choice or just unintentionally. By the way, I'm guilty of that. I am so, so guilty of that over the last 11 years of, of finding my people and just staying with my people and not really branching out like I should. And, and we have a really strong core group of people here at HGC who've been here through thick and thin and thick and thin. And that is tremendous. That is great. We are grateful for you all who have been here through thick and thin. However, it is also something that we need to be aware of, especially as we have more and more guests in the coming months. We have to be mindful of that. And, and of course, that we're, we're all going to have people that, that we know better than others. Uh, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he had Peter, 
James and John, who, who you, if you look at the Gospels, he was, he was closer with those three than, than, than the other uh, nine. <laughs> By the way, I, I do books for a company. That's really bad. Um, but, but, but even Jesus had, had disciples that he was closer with, and, and that's okay. So I do not want to undermine the fact that you have people that you're closer with in this family. It is a good thing to have, to have those close people. So, so however, though, we're, we're, so we, know, we know we know people better than others, and we're not going to know everyone the same, but we must remember that we're all called to love all children of God. We're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and not just love them emotionally, but with sacrificial service for each other. And, and we may not feel sentimental all the times towards all Christians, and the Lord doesn't expect that. But he does expect that we serve one another with love. We serve one another with love. So, so after Paul expresses his thankfulness for him, he tells them what he's been praying for them. And this is, this is going to be the main thrust this morning. Pick it up in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what is Paul's prayer for the Colossians? It wasn't some generic prayer asking that God, that the Colossians would just have peace and know that God loves them. It wasn't that the Colossian church would grow numerically. He didn't pray that they would get along for the sake of getting along. He prays three things. So if you're a point person, this is, this is point number one. This is the first thing he prays for, that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean are walking and living in such a way that you were deserving of God's favor, even without Christ. That's impossible to do. What, what he means is, is the worthy walk of the Christian life that shows the grace that we have received in Christ. It reflects the gospel that we could not live worthy, so Christ lived worthy and dies on our behalf, dies on our behalf and rose again from the grave because we couldn't. It, the, the, and that life manifests itself in a, in a desire to please God that you see in verse 10. And, and this is one of the most unique things, one of the many unique things about the gospel. We live different from the world. We don't want to do th good things for the sake of doing good things. Our ultimate goal and any ambition and anything that we do, our ultimate goal is to do good, is to please God. We're not just do-gooders for the sake of being do-gooders. We're made to glorify the Lord with what we do. We are made to live our lives for his pleasure. And, and really, this is the meaning of Psalm 34, 7. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
what this text is not saying is he's not going to give you some fresh new ride. You're not going to get some money with a big house. What, what, what it means is, is when we delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires become his desires. What pleases God begins to please us. We make it our aim to please him. So, so this is one of the things that Paul prayed for, him, for them. But how does this happen? How do we wake up one day and magically walk in the manner worthy of the gospel and we just suddenly live differently? What's the key for pleasing God? The answer is in the second point of what Paul prayed for the Colossians. He prayed number two, that they would be filled with, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, that they would be filled with knowledge. Now, now we're going to spend a good amount of our time this morning right here, focusing on this point. Uh, the, The second part of verse nine, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives knowledge, wisdom, understanding. We see that we see that this knowledge and wisdom is what will help live our lives worthy of the gospel. Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. You don't, you don't live more like Jesus. You don't please him in every way. You don't live worthy of Christ without being filled with knowledge and wisdom. Now, this whole filled thing, this, this, this word filled, what this, what this should be understood is, is, is it's controlled by. The same word is used multiple times in the Gospels and in Acts to mean controlled by. So in the gospel, Gospels, the disciples were filled with sorrow. The crowd was filled with awe and wonder. The Pharisees were filled with rage. And in Acts, maybe one of the greatest moments in the Bible is that the Holy Spirit falls and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Helper comes and they're filled and they're controlled by the Holy Spirit. In each of those instances, they were controlled by what filled them. And knowledge is a big deal in the scriptures. Paul repeatedly emphasizes knowledge. Now, this knowledge is not only information, it's not only information stored in the brain, but it is a submissive knowledge of God's will. And, and I don't want, and I, I know some of you, you hear that word submissive, submission, and you start to freak out. Don't let a word that has a bad meaning in, in secular culture stray you away from what the Lord is calling us to. So, so we're submissive to the word. And, and so, so, so now we need, we need to step back for a moment. And, and I want to I look at the world. Are the world that we live in. We live in a world where that we live in a world that worships knowledge. We, we, have you ever noticed that in public discourse on Facebook or Twitter, by the way, don't have public discourse on Facebook and Twitter. It's just, you're better off. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. So, but whether you're having public discourse, you're having conversations with someone, someone with a doctorate in whatever field suddenly completely trumps whatever opinion you have. You can be talking about how to make the perfect s'more And some dude with a doctorate in English can, like, trump that opinion. Uh, I don't know why you're talking about s'mores. But education in our culture is supreme. Secular culture in the United States puts education as literally the most important facet of our society. Now, obviously, this is incredibly important, but it does, again, seem to be worshipped. So here's the problem with Christian culture. 
here is the problem with mainstream Christian culture. It's almost if we, as we've overcorrected this obsession with knowledge and education by marginalizing the importance of knowledge, in particular knowledge of the Bible. We, we say these things like, it's not about what you know, it's about living your life for Jesus. But that's just it. Th- this passage makes clear that you can't live for Jesus without knowledge and understanding and wisdom from him. You can't. It is impossible. Biblical illiteracy plagues our churches here in 2018. Uh, according to some data from the Barna Research Group, and, and, and these are just meant to be in good fun, but they are somewhat alarming. Uh, 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. Okay, I, I, I can understand that 60% of Americans, we're not talking about Christians. Okay, I, I, can, I can somewhat understand that. 82% of Americans think that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Hold on, it's worse. Those identified as born-again Christians did better by 1%. So there might be some of you in this room who thinks God helps those who help themselves is somewhere in here. It's not. It's it's an okay concept. Uh, A few more things. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Okay. (laughs) So big discrepancy in age. She married a much older man, but okay. 50% of high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And possibly my favorite, a decent amount of people who responded to this poll said that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. It was preached by Jesus, if you're wondering. Um, so, So the most shocking part about this is not that Americans are biblically illiterate. That is going to be increasingly true. The the Bible is not central to our culture. So Americans being biblically illiterate, while not a good thing, it's just going to continue to be the thing. The shocking part, the scandal with this, is the increasing biblically illiterate Christians. There's really only one answer to why so many Christians lack even basic understanding of the Bible's teaching. Churches, sadly, have marginalized the importance of biblical knowledge. We've replaced it with short, catchy sayings more than we want biblical truth. Bumper sticker theology, uh, hashtag theology, those ideas. We say things like this. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Some of us say that a lot. I've said that a lot in my 11 years. And a lot of people think it's, a lot of people would say it sounds like nonsense if we're, if we're honest. Uh, probably my least favorite, uh, I hear this at least once a week at work. God will not give you more than you can handle. That's not true. Uh, he may very well crush you so that you realize that your dependency in all things relies on him. That you need him in all things. So, and then we say things like, Work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. Okay. So, so, so we have these short little catchy sayings. And, 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 I, and I wonder, why is, why is knowledge unimportant to most of us? And if we're honest, if we're honest, it's unimportant to most of us. Why do many of us not have a strong desire to learn, 
to read and to grow in knowledge. Maybe part of it is, is maybe part of the problem is, is that we've never really grown in our knowledge of the Bible in the first place because we don't see the incredible value in it. Or maybe at least one of the reasons in today's world, in 2018, the incredible access that we have to information that keeps many of us feeling like we don't need to know the Bible. We can just Google it. Confession. I've stood right there during worship, Googled Bible verses so I could get up here and wrap it all up together. I'm not saying Googling stuff is a bad thing. It's a resource that we have, but it cannot be the primary resource that we go to. It can't be. And again, it's a resource. It's not, it's not the the main tool that we should be using. It's a serious issue if you're a member of a church for years. By the way, don't, 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 don't freak out because I said member. Member's not a bad thing. Um, it, it's, it's really bad if you're a part of a church for years and you never really grow in knowledge by simply being a part of that church. There are many, many things I'm excited about for HGC this year and moving forward. I'm excited about what's taking place right now in children's ministry. Right now, our kids are downstairs and they're learning about the love of God. They're learning the word. Uh, Our student ministry is becoming more and more of a focus for us that we're just starting. I'm excited about our community groups being emphasized, and I'm excited about the other fun things that we have. We have a a fall festival in like a month and a half. It's going to be awesome. But the the thing I am most excited about is our intentional focus on the Word, the Word of God in everything that we do. Children, with God's help, are going to learn the Word. The students will be learning the Word. Sunday morning, right here, our big gathering, always centered around the Word. Our time of worship, Pastor Stephen always picks songs that are centered around the Word. Community groups, heavily centered around the word. So why such an emphasis on the word? Because we know God through his word. We, without his word, we cannot know God. And, and, and I do want to say this. I don't want you to feel guilty if you don't know much about what the Bible teaches about God. That's not my purpose this morning. I don't want, you to, I don't want to guilt trip you into reading your Bible, but I want you to feel challenged and convicted if you are in this situation. Knowledge and wisdom and understanding matters. It is what will bring about a life that pleases God. We can't know God without knowing the Bible, and we can't please God on the basis of principles that we don't know. Again, that's why Paul spends the first two chapters of Colossians laying out doctrine and truth and only moves to practical life encouragement in the last two chapters. Paul saw the importance of of doctrine and truth. You you have to know it before you can live it. That's why practical life application comes after doctrine and truth. And, and, And I don't want you to miss this. Godliness is directly linked in Scripture to the knowledge of godly truth. Godliness is directly linked in Scripture to the knowledge of godly truth. You know, it's funny how many times in the first seven to eight years that I was a Christian that I asked the question so many times to the Lord, what is God's will for my life? I wanted, I wanted to know what God wanted me to do. So I wanted to know all these things so bad, who I was supposed to marry, 
what the calling was on my life. And perhaps you are in a similar situation. Perhaps you're trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I don't want to, I do not want to diminish the importance of seeking God's will for big life decisions. Whether that be college, marriage, children, job, or any sort of, of transition. But we need to understand that God's will is not a secret that we search for. It's not a treasure hunt. It's right here. It's right here. He has revealed his will in his word. The Bible won't tell you what college to go to, but it tells you what God wants you to do no matter what college you go to. It, it, it won't tell you who to marry by name. Listen, the, the Bible didn't tell me you're going to marry Carol Willie. Granted, I'm, I'm convinced that the Spirit spoke and I knew. Um, anyways, uh, she didn't. But <laughs> I had to put in the work. It was worth it, though. But it won't tell you who to marry by name, but it will tell you what God wants no matter who you marry, but then it gives you guidelines for who to marry, and it gives you guidelines for a healthy marriage. This right here has to be the center of your marriage. Jesus needs to be the center of your marriage, and this will guide your marriage. It won't tell you whether or not to change jobs, but it will tell you what he wants no matter what job you're working. God is sovereign and he has a plan. But we stress sometimes, we stress so much about things that God may not be too worried about. Like we get stressed out about incredible, incredibly small things in the eyes of the Lord. And yes, he is sovereign and we should look for promptings of the Holy Spirit. And let me say one thing. Yes, the Holy Spirit prompts and perhaps moves, even though I err on the side of caution when using that type of language. The Holy Spirit's leading me, prompting me, because it seems like sometimes in life we, we say that to get what we want. But I'm going to stop right there with that, because uh, I don't have 40 more minutes to go into that. My, my, my point here is this, is the Holy Spirit, Spirit speaks primarily through God's word. Again, this isn't a treasure hunt. It's right here. We just have to dive in and dig into this to discover his will. So what happens when we're growing in knowledge of God and his will revealed in his words? We will begin to, as Colossians says, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. We, we don't have to figure out ourselves how to live for God and his glory. We grow in knowledge through submission to his word. In other words, it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's knowledge for the sake of submitting to God himself. God gives us his power to live for him by the Holy Spirit. Then he gives us the tool, the word, for living for him. Verse 11, verse 11 is so, so good. According to his glorious might. The culmination of biblical knowledge is the gospel. Which brings us to the third thing that Paul prays for the Colossians. Stephen, you can come back up. The third thing, that, we, that, that they be thankful for the gospel. He prays that they grow and they grow in knowledge of God and who he is. 
and, and what his will is for their lives so that they walk and live in a manner worthy of Christ, bearing fruit, making disciples, strengthened in Christ with joy. In verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. And then he straight up just breaks out in praise in verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For he has delivered us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The same exact words that Jesus uses when he's arrested. He has rescued us and transferred us into the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, knowledge should not be worshipped. However, biblical knowledge, submissive knowledge, knowledge of who he, who he is will bring us closer to the Lord and will help us live lives worthy of the gospel. So there's two groups of people that I want to talk to this morning as, I, as we close this out. Some of you have a great desire to grow in knowledge and understanding of who the Lord is, what the scriptures say. You have so many resources. The YouVersion Bible app will put together a reading plan for you. Or just start in the Gospels and, and see who Jesus is. And if you, need, if you need a reading plan, come talk to me. I'll help you out. Pastor Nate will help you out. Any of the elders will help you in your desire to grow in knowledge. But also, we need to pray for one another that we would grow in knowledge. The second group of people, and I would be remiss to think that this is a room full of Christians. Some of you just don't know. You just don't know that Jesus loves you. That before the foundations of the world, he knew you and he loved you. So this morning, what do you need to know? If you're in this room and you're not a believer, I don't think you're here by accident. I think you're here for a purpose. I think that purpose is this, is the Lord is calling you. He's calling your name. All you got to do is say yes. You don't have to pray a, a magical prayer, and praying, praying prayers aren't bad. I don't want to get there, but all you have to do is say yes. Just say yes and believe. It's that simple. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would be people who know you. We would be people who, are, who know your word. We don't want to be people who lack the knowledge of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would reveal your will to us through your word, that we would know what we are supposed to do with our lives through the reading of your word. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there is anyone in this room who does not know you, that they would leave here knowing that you love them and that they would leave here with a new name, son or daughter. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen.